Well, good morning. I'm going to begin this morning with a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This passage in Deuteronomy, it's part of a Jewish prayer that's known as the Shema. These are words that were first spoken by Moses to the people of Israel when they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses is reviewing for them the commands that God has given them. It's also a portion of this Shema that Jesus quotes in the New Testament when a teacher of the law comes to him and says, Teacher, which is the greatest command? Jesus' response is that the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so the Shema has taken an important place in Jewish tradition. But it has also been affirmed as something of central importance by Jesus. And so it remains an important passage for followers of Christ as well. It contains, of course, a command. Love the Lord your God. It's what Jesus calls the greatest command. But then immediately following, there's instructions about what we're to do with these commands of God. We're told that we're to impress them on our children, that we're to talk about them when we sit at home, or when we're out traveling, when we're on the road, whether we're having a or we're out being active with our families. Switch gears for just a second. According to the best research available, 40 to 50% of kids who graduate high school while part of a church or a youth group will fail to stick with their faith when they get to college. I think about it this way. On a Friday night at Ignite, that's our church youth group, it's pretty common for me to have all the teens stand in a line and I'll say, one's over here, two's over here, and I'll go and I'll number them, right? One, you're over here, two, you're over here, one, two, one, two. Well, now imagine that every teen that I give the number two, that's a teen that's going to walk away from the faith. I don't know about you, that's, that's not good enough for me. And I think what we read in the Shema is saying that that's not good enough in, in God's view either. He wants something better for our teens and for our young people. 
And so this is most definitely bad news. But there is also good news. The good news is that God has given us some direction, direction in his word. And he has also blessed us with a community, a community of Christians that we call the church and a community that is full of some very wise and smart people, people who have done research and have um, and put a lot of time and a lot of energy into figuring out the best ways to raise our children so that they can have a faith that sticks. None of this, of course, offers a guarantee. Okay? The researchers will readily admit that each person is unique, each person has their own free will, and there's no silver bullet that will guarantee a certain outcome. The Bible as well, in the, in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that if we start off a child on the way they should go, even when they are old, they will not turn from it. But we need to recognize that this is, as the name of the book suggests, a proverb. It's a general truth, not an absolute truth. And so we are instructed to raise our children in the way that they should go. Because if we do, that leads to the highest likelihood that they will not depart from that way. It is not a guarantee. But at the same time, we do have... God's word in the Bible, and we do have some research that are going to give us some great guidance, and so we would do well to follow those things. And so with this in mind, a lot of what I'm going to say today uh, as we talk about raising our children in the faith, um, some of it's going to come from this passage right here, some of it's going to come from a book called Sticky Faith, Uh, and this is a book that takes the results of a multi-year research project and then it presents practical application for Christian parents and for churches um, about best practices when it comes to teaching our kids about faith. Now, there's too much in this book for me to cover in one morning, um, but I'm going to cover a few key points from there. Uh, But I'll also recommend, um, I've got a copy of the book, Sticky Faith. If you want to come borrow it from me, happy to loan it to you. Or it's, it's not very expensive if you want to go buy it on Amazon. Um, so if, if you're a parent, if you're just someone that's, that's generally interested um, about our young people, I encourage you to take a look at this. But for now, what I want us to understand is that God, through the Shema, as we see here, he says that there is something that we need to be impressing on our children. And there are three ways this morning that I want to start by suggesting that we can move in that direction. So, first thing, we need parents who model faith. Children's ministry expert Reggie Joyner suggests that the average church-going kid will spend 40 hours at church learning about God every year. By way of contrast, the parents of that same child will have about 3,000 hours per year with their child. That's 3,000 hours of potential influence in the life of their child. And so it should be clear that impressing the love of God on our children is not something that can be left to the church. It's the parents who have the greatest ability 
to make an impact. Now, fortunately, I don't think we need to choose. I think the ideal situation is a situation where the church, the community of the church, is supporting the work that the parents are doing as well. But my point here is that the teaching of our kids about loving Jesus shouldn't be something that's done only on a Sunday by the Sunday school teacher or on a Friday by the youth pastor. Parents need to be modeling faith at home. Now, when I say this, I want you, if you're a parent, to understand that this doesn't mean that you need to be perfect parents. Neither do you need to be perfect Christians who absolutely follow every single rule that's laid out in the Bible or in our Christian culture. Parents who don't drink, who don't smoke, who go to church every Sunday, and who always arrive on time. Your kids don't need you to be perfect rule followers. Let's look at the Shema again. What's the command that God gives us that we're to impress on our children? Well, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. So, you don't need to be perfect parents, but it is worth asking, do you love Jesus with all of your heart, soul, and strength? Or perhaps we could put it this way. Are you growing in your relationship with God? Are you doing things like taking time to personally read God's word and to pray? Because when your kids see you pursuing God, it makes a difference. And even if they don't see it directly, maybe they never see you read your Bible when you're reading it a half hour before they get up in the morning or something like that. But when you prioritize your own walk with God first, that's going to spill over. And they're going to see the fruit of God's Spirit working in your life. We should be asking ourselves questions like, what are my goals and priorities in life? Or perhaps even better, what are my goals and priorities for my children? Do your words and your actions show that your deepest desire is for them to love Jesus? Or do your words and actions show that your deepest desire is for them to succeed in sports, to succeed at school, or to succeed in getting a great job? All good things, by the way, all things that that we can absolutely desire for our children. But things that I believe should come secondary to raising them in the faith. One example of this um, is that I wish that more of our graduating high school students would at least consider taking a year to go and spend a year at Bible college. Um, But I've found that sometimes the answer that I get when I suggest this is that it would be to waste a year that could be used moving towards a career goal. And I'm not necessarily saying that every person needs to go to Bible school. I think there may be some legitimate reasons why that's not for everyone. But whenever I hear that, I can't help but wonder if 
this year at Bible school would be something that's helpful for you in drawing closer to God, then why are we calling that a waste? This might be a good time for me to just stop and mention for a second that if this is actually something that you're interested in, maybe you're a young person in here that thinks, hey, I've never really thought about that, but I could see myself doing that one day. The church leadership actually wants to support you. We've actually been working on creating a a scholarship fund where if that's something that you're interested in doing, we can help you out financially towards that goal. Um, So please feel free to come talk to me about that. Um, I'd love to do that with you. But the point here, this first point, is just, is faith in our children a priority? And is it something that we're modeling in ourselves? Um, So first point, parents need to be modeling faith. Second point is that it's going to also take a community of faith. Let's take another look at the Shema. And let's look at the first three words. Hear, O Israel. It's worth noticing here that Moses doesn't start by saying, Hear, O parents. The command that Moses gives is for the entire faith community. In the case of Moses, the faith community was the nation of Israel. But in our case, our community of faith is the church. And so the responsibility of raising our children in the faith does not rest only on parents. It rests with an entire community. And so if you're a parent, I hope that takes a little pressure off of you. And if you're someone else sitting in the auditorium here and you're not a parent right now, well, that means you need to listen to the rest of the sermon. Maybe you've tuned out for a second. Tune back in because it means that you're part of this too. This is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or you're an uncle, if you're married or if you're single, if you're young, if you're old. Every single person here has a responsibility towards our children. We learn this here in Deuteronomy and the research backs it up. When young people are connected with older members of the faith community, it builds faith. Examples of this might be our teens or young adults connecting with uh, an adult in a life group. Or it might mean a young child who sees a teen that's excited to help out in their Sunday school class. What we need to be doing is stacking the stands, surrounding our young people with adults who are cheering them on in the faith. So how do we do this? Well, there's a lot of different ways, um, but maybe I'll just give you three possible ideas this morning that we can start with. First, if you're a parent, I would just encourage you to be intentional. Look for adults in the church that could be a positive influence in your child's faith, and then invite them to be praying for your kids. And then look for other opportunities to invite them into your child's life as well. Maybe next time your child has a music recital or a basketball game, you invite them to come watch. Maybe you just invite them for dinner once every couple of months. But be intentional about surrounding your kids with adults who love Jesus. 
Second thing, join a life group. So if you're a parent, if you've got kids, this is an opportunity for your kids to see a group of adults who take their faith seriously. And that life group atmosphere should allow your kids to have positive interactions with the adults in the group who can then become cheerleaders for your kids. And if you don't have kids and you join a life group, uh, there's a pretty high probability that whatever life group you join will have at least one kid, teen, or young adult. And this life group's going to give you the context to have an opportunity to share life with that young person in a meaningful way. Third idea, maybe you're involved in serving in some way. Serving in a ministry of our church, serving somewhere in your community. And if you're doing that, I'd encourage you to invite a young person to join you. Uh, I know several people in our congregation who have done exactly that. In particular, I think of a few Sunday school teachers who have done this. They've, uh, they've tapped the shoulder of one of our teens, and they've said, hey, why don't you come join me and help lead the Sunday school class that I'm teaching? Uh, and this has a few really positive impacts. First, it allows that Sunday school teacher to become a cheerleader for that teen. But it goes beyond that. That teen then becomes something that the kids in that class can look up to. Um, and so we've got a couple different layers of this influence happening. Really, there are a multitude of different ways that our community can be involved in teaching our young people about Jesus. Um, but my encouragement this morning is just, let's be intentional about doing this. So we need parents who model faith. We need a community of faith. And finally, we need to be having faith conversations. Research shows that only 12% of church-going teenagers have regular conversations with their moms about life and faith issues. When it comes to dad, it's even less. It's only 5%. There are important conversations that are simply not being had. And yet, the research also shows that while actions are more important than words, this is why we said we need parents who model faith, but the research shows that it's also of critical importance that parents be talking with their kids about life and faith issues. This point is the part of the Shema here where we talk about, um, we talk about talking about God when we sit at home and we're out on the road, right? It's the last, last verse there. We need to be intentional about making opportunities to have these important conversations. And so I know that there's some families who have taken this verse almost literally, if we apply it to a modern context, and they said, we're supposed to talk about God when we're walking along the road. Well, maybe we don't walk along the road much anymore, but we'll be in the car on the road, driving to school, driving to church, driving to sports, whatever, and we're going to make that a time where we put away our phones and where we leave space for conversations. And maybe on any given trip you have a good conversation or maybe you don't. But at least you've created the opportunity. 
I think is something that my parents did for me, and that's that when I was a kid, um, still fairly young, one of the things that my parents would do is they would occasionally take each of us kids out one-on-one to just go do something fun. And so usually this was something pretty simple. Maybe we'd just go to Dairy Queen and get some ice cream. Maybe while the rest of the family was out doing grocery shopping or something, uh, mom would just stay home with me and we'd just play a board game, just the two of us. Or maybe my dad would take me to the park and we'd throw the football around. Whatever it was, the point, the goal, was that I was able to spend one-on-one time with my parents in a very intentional way. And then as I got older, as I moved into high school and then into college and then the years beyond that, when I had questions for my parents about a life decision or when I needed to get their input on a girl I liked, or when I had some other difficult question that I needed to talk to someone about, I always knew that I could go back to that, that same thing, that one-on-one time with my parents. I could say, hey, mom, or hey, dad, can we just go grab a coffee? Can we go get another ice cream at Dairy Queen? Um, that opportunity was there. It's something that they had intentionally created. And so we want to have conversations with our kids. And as we do so, we want to be careful that what we're not doing is we're not lecturing them on what they should think. We need to be listening. We need to be asking questions if we're going to have good conversations about difficult topics. We also need to be vulnerable. We need to be willing to talk about our own doubts. I don't think I'll ever forget one evening shortly after my grandpa passed away, when my dad came into the bedroom that I shared with my two brothers. And my dad told us that he figured there was a pretty good chance that this moment marked the halfway point between when his grandpa died and when he himself would die. And he told us that that first half had gone pretty quickly. I don't remember absolutely everything he said that night, but I remember that he was vulnerable. I remember that he told us about how that was a scary thing and how it was a reminder that his time was short and that he needed to take his faith seriously. And then he encouraged us to be thinking about those same things. And you know what? I did. I did because I could see that he was taking it seriously and that he was vulnerable um, with his own fears in that moment. And that was important for me because it wasn't very long after that that I did begin to, uh, to wrestle with some serious doubts and some serious questions about my faith. And when those doubts and questions came, I knew that I could go talk to my dad. And I could talk to him openly about the questions that I had. Unfortunately, there is sometimes in, our, in, in church culture, there's um, this idea that we need to hide our doubts. 
that we need to act like we have absolutely everything figured out. After all, we might say, aren't we supposed to have faith? And if we have doubts, well, isn't that just going to make the young people have doubts too? But the fact is, they already have doubts. I think we all already have doubts from time to time. But it's those that are able to express those doubts and to ask questions that are most likely to come to terms with those doubts and to build a lasting faith. Really, this shouldn't be surprising. If we look at the book of Psalms, we'll see that it's full of cries of doubt and uncertainty that become a model for how we can approach our loving Father. Or when we look at Jesus, yes, we see a Jesus who, when he saw faith, he commended it. But we also see a Jesus who is very patient with people that come to him and say, help me not to doubt, because they do have doubts and they do have questions. And the people that Jesus is harshest with is those who self-righteously think that they have all the right answers. So let's be intentional about talking with our kids about difficult life and faith issues. And as we do so, let's make sure we're being vulnerable to share our own doubts and questions as well. So we need parents who model faith. We need a community of faith. And we need to be having faith conversations. These are all, I believe, important things, but let me, uh, let me close by saying this. The statistics on the number of young people who are leaving our church, I often find those fairly discouraging. But then I remember that we serve a God of hope. A God who has given us his word in the Bible, who has given us community and has equipped us with all sorts of resources to help us along the way, but ultimately also a God um, a God who can transform. Because it is God and the work of his Holy Spirit that has the power to change lives. And we know that this God that we serve is a good God. He's a God who loves us and who loves all of our young people enough that he would send his son to die on our behalf. This God is the one who transforms, not us. And that gives me great hope. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning and um, we have some fears. We have some questions, some doubts about um, what our role is. in in raising our young people. God, we want the best for them, but we know that you do too. We see that in your word. And so we we thank you that you've given us some guidance, guidance through your word, guidance through many smart people and many resources that you have provided to us. God, we pray that we would use those resources well, that we would do the best that we can. But ultimately, God, what we ask this morning is that you would be working. God, we ask that your spirit would be present in our lives and in the lives of our young people, that you would be transforming. 
that your love would not be hidden, but that we would see it working powerfully. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.